In the fourth chapter of First Samuel, we have the account of the sad days, the last sad days of Eli the judge. You are familiar with this portion, but I read only the very last part of it. Eli died, his sons were slain, the ark was taken, and the daughter-in-law of the judge was delivered of a child, and about the time of her death the women that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast born a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken. <clears throat> and because of her father-in-law and her husband. And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. I want you to think with me for a few moments about the departed glow. I'm glad that I spent my boyhood in the early years of this century and what were called the good years, there's a book out titled The Good Years, and it deals with a period just before 1914 when World War I began, and we've never been the same since. This country had just emerged from the Spanish-American War, a young and powerful nation. Americanism was personified in Teddy Roosevelt, Life was full of romance before the land became Sodom and Gomorrah from Maine to California. Boys were boys and girls were girls. You never heard of homosexuals and transsexuals. Marriage was for life, not a temporary arrangement. If you didn't like it, uh, even uh, uh, without benefit of matrimony, thousands living like man and wife. I still like the sweet love songs that were set to romance, not to sex, as now. Before the hideous avalanche that splits our eardrums, demonic both in words and tune, I've already said that it's not music, just an excuse for not being able to make music. And an excuse, you know, is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. We've come a long way since we used to sing, Let me call you sweetheart, moonlight and roses, I love you truly. I like the simple love lyrics. They had their place. Fanny Crosby was a wonderful hymn writer, but a lot of people don't know that she just wasn't a sweet old lady sitting around all the time writing hymns. She wrote love lyrics, too, just uh, uh, ordinary sweetheart love lyrics, and they have a place. But you just try to get records of that kind. If you stay in a record shop long enough today to endure the insanity of some of the hits here today and going tomorrow, and they're hits, all right. They hit you with a wallop when you hear them. Uh, uh, they talk about the top 40, you know, the top 40. I sure would hate to hear the bottom 40.
Hemingway says that we are suffering today from writers who can't write and actors who can't act and singers who can't sing, and they're all making a million dollars a year. That's the tragedy of these times. It's doubtful whether we'll ever return to an age in America when people fell in love with somebody they wanted to live with the rest of their days, when sweetheart was still in common usage, and love sickness was a normal ailment of teenagers. We may be too far down the road and to the mm, point of no return. Well, of course, this gets its extra boost today from what's happened to childhood. Some time ago, Saturday Evening Post had an article titled, What Happened to the Magic of Childhood? It's gone. And it's not the kid's fault either. Childlike innocency has given way to precocious kids making a fortune on TV commercials. You have no idea how many thousands of dollars those kids collect over just TV commercials. I listened to a group of them some time ago on television discussing ecology. Think of that. They ought to have been out in the backyard playing hopscotch. What a crime to rob them of their childhood. They'll never have it again. It'll never return. And life itself has lost its ecstasy and degenerates from apathy into agony. The first half of life, you are romantic, and the second half, you are rheumatic. <laughs> um, but uh, I've seen some folks who are rheumatic become romantic again and lose all their rheumatism. <laughs> but, of course, sometimes the honeymoon gives way in time to the humdrum age. I heard of an old couple the other day in a rest home. She couldn't hear very well. He was trying to cheer her up. He said, I'm proud of you. And she said, hey. And he said, I'm proud of you. She said, I didn't get it. He said, I'm proud of you. And she said, I'm tired of you too. <laughs> and it oughtn't to be that way. It just oughtn't be that way. But, but, thank the Lord, I know old couples who have weathered the years, still in love with each other. We have more of them than you might think. Wonderful granddads, wiser than all the books on how to raise children. Books, you know, written by somebody who didn't have any. Grandmothers who uh, never thought about being in bondage when they were keeping house in their younger years. It was the labor of love, and they found freedom in it. They didn't go around with a banner in a protest meeting of the women's lib. I find middle-agers making a go of it today in spite of the world, the flesh and the devil. And I find young couples who have made up their minds not to be led like sheep to the slaughter by the pied pipers of perversion. But I see the departed glow most of all in churches and in Christian living. Some of the churches today ought to be named the Ichabod Memorial, because that's what they are. They're a memorial to Ichabod. They have double two pulpits now, maybe, and a lot of candles. And one reason they got so many candles is the power's cut off. <laughs> Ichabod Memorial. We read that Moses' face shone 
Stephen had a face like an angel. And then there's Second Corinthians 3.18, But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. There was a book some years ago by O.P. Jacks on the lost radiance of the Christian faith. Uh, it's a glare, but it's not a glow. There's brilliance today, but not radiance. You remember that Shishak captured Jerusalem when Rehoboam was king and uh, stole the golden shields that Solomon had hung there. Now, they were really something to see. Gold, I mean the real thing, hung all over the place. And it says they wouldn't even look at silver. It wasn't anything thought of in the days of Solomon. When Shishak captured Jerusalem, his eyes fell upon those shields of gold and he made away with them. And I read that Rehoboam substituted not shields of brass. That would have been a big come down. But uh, uh, not shields of silver, but shields of brass. Now that's a big come down all the way from gold. Brass will shine, you know. You can put a certain radiance to it, but it's not gold. It never will be. And I find a lot of that as I move from church to church today. Lorenzo of Florence put on a pageant of Pentecost. It was a play and fire was supposed to fall. Sure enough, fire. They had it all set up. They had the twelve apostles down here lined up. Uh, and uh, it worked too well. The fire fell, but the curtains caught on fire and the apostles caught on fire and everybody did well to get out of the place without being burned up. I said, that's what happens when you try to have a synthetic Pentecost. You either have the wrong kind of fire and everybody gets burned or you don't have anything at all. Then there was the false fire of Nadab and Abihu. I've read of a certain home that had been left vacant one miserable winter night, a poor little kitten crept in and they had one of these imitation fires. They'd forgotten to turn off, you know, just the bulb in a fireplace. And it looked like fire and the kitten sat in front of it and froze to death. And I've seen people freezing to death in churches before an artificial fire. It's got a certain amount of glare to it. but Well, what causes that kind of condition? How do you get in such a fix as that? Well, uh, this chapter in Judges, and we can't go into it in detail, but you have the whole background. Eli was an indulgent father, for one thing. He lost his boys. I remember at Moody Church when we had uh, Keswick, that Mr. Duncan from English Keswick preached a sermon that we'll never forget on Eli, a good man who was too busy. A lot of good men are too busy. And he, was, uh, he, he loved the Lord. He wanted to serve the Lord. He had a conscience. But uh, the boys got away and it says the sons of Eli became known as the sons of Belial. Now that's a come down for you. When the sons of their father became, as it were, the sons of the devil. And then they lived in awful immorality. And one thinks of the loose and sloppy living of 
sometimes even ministers and believer priests today. I read here the word of the Lord was precious. That means there wasn't much of it. It was rare. And there was no open vision. The New American Revision translates it. The word of the Lord was rare and visions were infrequent. There wasn't much communication from God. When something else sounds from the pulpit beside the word of God, we're headed for Ichabod. And then there was the ark. In this same fourth chapter, the Philistines moved in on them. And they said, we're in desperate stretch. Let's get the ark. So they got the ark and they thought that would take care of it. But when you don't have the presence of the Lord in the ark, you've just got a box. The Philistines heard the Israelites shouting, now we're going to overcome them. We've got the ark. And they said, oh, well, what are we going to do? Their God is there and he's going to fight against us. Yeah, they had the box, but they didn't have the Lord. And the church building is just four walls and a roof. All is vain unless the Spirit of the Holy One come down. And any church is headed for Ichabod when it relies on just going through the motions. And when you try to do that, God is not pleased and nothing is accomplished. I think of Uzzah. You remember when the ark was being hauled along. Uh, the oxen stumbled and he reached out his hand to steady the ark. God struck him dead. That was, that's another chapter in what our dear brother was preaching about so wonderfully uh, last night here. And uh, he dropped dead. Well, why? Why would that happen? Uh, he didn't mean any harm. Just touched the ark. Wasn't, wasn't it all right? for him to steady it if the uh, oxen had stumbled? No. Something was wrong because he was the son of Abinadab. And he had uh, uh, lived looking at that ark for 20 years in the house. And it had become just a piece of furniture. And he was used to it. And old Matthew Henry says, didn't he think he could proudly do as he pleased about it and move it about because he'd seen it every day for 20 years. And beloved, there is such a thing as getting so used to the things of God. You get used to them and they don't move you anymore. I have heard of some boys over in Africa long ago when diamonds were plentiful. They mined for them. One day a tourist said, I saw some boys playing what looked like marbles. And I drew near and sure enough, they were playing marbles with, with diamonds. And that's what we do sometimes. We handle the Word of God as though it were something ordinary. Playing marbles with diamonds. We go through the motions of the Christian life. We rarely examine the coinage of the Word of God to see whose image and superscription may be thereupon. Now these Philistines were temporarily frightened and the world may be temporarily impressed by Ichabod Memorial Churches. But they'll soon catch on. Even the Philistines will. A form of godliness without the power. 
It's not the ark, it's the God of the ark. It's the presence of God that makes the difference. Moses said, Lord, how, how will people know that we're your people? Except it be that thou goest with us. And I read here that they shouted. They said, we're in trouble. And they're shouting, their God must be among them. But oh, what a day of defeat it was for Israel. And I'm asking, are we living in a day of victory today or are we living in the birthday of Ichabod? Now, what is this departed glue? Well, it's more than theological correctness. That's important. You can't glow right if you don't know right. Jesus said about the Pharisees, do as they say, not like they do. Ephesus was orthodox, but they'd left their first love. Right, but not radiant. You can be such a thing as a fundamentalist, a fundamental evangelical premillennial hypocrite. <clears throat> That's a bad kind of hypocrite. Knows it all. Can't tell them anything. Knows what you're going to say before you say it. <clears throat> and unless the love of God is shed abroad there, you'll have a glare, but you won't have a glow. It is more than ethical strictness. Now, I believe in that. Now, Lord knows we don't have much of it today. The Pharisees had plenty of it. They wouldn't even eat an egg that had been laid on the Sabbath. But the Bible says, be not conformed to this world. But it doesn't stop there. I know some dear people, they're not conformed to the world. And they wouldn't do these worldly things for anything in the world, but they've not been transformed. And sometimes they're uh, sort of a disgrace to the cause. They're critical and censorious. They've not a, got a glue, all they've got is a growl. And uh, the same Christian that used to spend their money on bridge now spend it on backbiting. That's not much progress. Gave up cigarettes and took up gossiping. That's not much progress. Too many people who do not love the world the way they shouldn't love it don't love it the way they should love it. If you love the world the way God loves it, you won't love it the way you shouldn't love it. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's more than religious busyness, too. Don't confuse this now with sparks of, uh, that you generate dashing around in church work from Dan to Beersheba in a beehive of activity, report cards and banners and contests and statistics and... Uh, uh, all kinds of uh, committee meetings from convention to church supper to choir practice to rally day to raise the budget and pay off the debt doing the work of four people in the church because uh, three people won't do any work in there. Dr. R.G. Lee used to say if, we had, if an automobile had as many parts in it that wouldn't run as a church has people that won't work you couldn't push the thing downhill. And in the midst of it all, I think about that passage over in the uh, Old Testament where a prophet went through a sort of an illustration to reprove Ahab. He said, I was given a man to keep. I was told to keep him, not let anybody get him. And I got busy here and there, and he got away. As thy servant was busy here and there, behold, he was gone. 
And while we're puttering around, beloved, the best things get away from us. Delinquency and duty, what a lesson we ought to learn from this portion. It didn't fail because of ignorance. He knew what he was supposed to do. A charge to keep I have a God to glorify, a never-dying soul to save and fit it for the sky. Some people don't like that old song. They say we don't save our souls. Well, that's not what the man meant to begin with. We do have this business of seeing to it that our soul is saved. And if you don't trust Christ, it won't be, so you have a responsibility. But uh, we know what to do. And it wasn't because this man wasn't adequate to the job. He could have done whatever he was supposed to do. He could have kept that man who'd been committed to him. And it wasn't due to laziness because it was exactly because he was too busy that the man got away. As thy servant was busy here and there. Idleness is the devil's workshop, they say. So is busyness. Too much busyness and not the Lord's business. Dr. Jarrett used to say, you're not doing most business for God always when you're busiest. Eli was a good man, but too busy. And it wasn't because this man was doing bad things. They may have been perfectly good things in their time and place, but they weren't important enough. My pastor told some time ago about an art student who was told by the teacher, I want you to go out here on the side of the hill and paint a picture of a sunset. And uh, so he went. And there was an old barn over on the landscape. And uh, he, he started painting that part of the picture and couldn't get the roof on the barn to suit him. Couldn't get the color right. And time went on and time went on and he was still working on the roof of that barn. And the teacher came out and said, what's going on here? When he said, I, I can't get this barn roof right. The teacher said, do you know what time it is? I sent you out here to paint a sunset, not to put a roof on a barn. And I know people today that God has commissioned to do a real piece of work, and you've been painting a roof ever since, piddling, just puttering around. When are you ever going to snap out of that? For Almighty God. And the best things get away. Youth gets away. I say to you young folks, Oh, don't think that until you're 21, you've been given a piece of life to sort of do with as you please, and then I'll settle down, I'll get serious later on, but not now. Now or never, I must have my fling. Remember thy Creator in the days of thy youth. Get an early start at it, because you, you'll never have it back. It won't return to you. Our dear ones get away too sometimes. Well, we're busy here and there. I remember a dear man the same summer that my dear wife went to heaven. He was a worker with my denomination, and his dear wife had died a couple of years past. He traveled all the time, and she stayed at home, but he traveled too much, and she stayed at home too much. And it nearly killed him when he got to thinking of the hours he could have spent, the weeks he could have taken off uh, to stay at home or take her along. I don't know whether he'll ever get over it or not. It's a serious thing, and all you can say in a time like that is so groan about the touch of a vanished hand and the sound of a voice that's still, but that doesn't do much good in a time when you have been so busy that the main thing got away. I thank God that my dear wife went with me most of the time for 33 years over the country. And that's what God joined us together for to begin with, to work together. 
I didn't have that regret. I have, we all have regrets. If I'd have done this, if I'd only have thought of that. Everybody does, and you can drive yourself crazy over that sort of business. But uh, remember, the best things get away, and the opportunity to serve God gets away too. I, have a, I had a friend in Greensboro, head of the drama department of the University of North Carolina, just across the street from where I live. Seventy-odd years before he ever became a Christian. Graduate of Harvard, man versed in literature, and then he got saved in the middle of the night, all alone, upstairs. His wife had prayed for 45 years that he'd be a Christian, and it bowled her over nearly when he walked down the steps next morning and said, I'm going to church with you, dear. He prayed for 45 years for that, and it almost got her when he did say it. <laughs> He and I became buddies, and we'd go out and eat together, and we both liked to write. And Oh, what a man. They made him deacon in the First Baptist Church. He went everywhere bragging on Jesus with all his intellect. And he'd read the Bible all those years. He was uh, taught drama and all that sort of business. He knew the Bible as literature. It never got through to his soul. You know what got me? I said to him, during all those years, did anybody ever speak to you about Jesus Christ? No. Now, where were we? I said, you mean nobody ever spoke? No, nobody. Just a praying wife. And I said, were you in a revival? No. Did you hear a sermon? No, I didn't hear sermons. God woke me up in the middle of the night and showed me what a lost old sinner I was. God had to visit him. Nobody else would. And so the Spirit of God paid him a visit in the middle of the night. But, oh, let's, beloved, not let these precious things get away from us. Being busy about good things, good things. I'm not talking about bad things. And it's not the afterglow of a past experience. Thank God for these mountaintop days we've had. Paul went to the third heaven, you know, and... Uh, uh, my, if some preachers would ever get to the third heaven, you'd never hear the last of that. He couldn't tell about it when he got back, but some preachers would work up a story about that and give illustrations and everything else. You'd never hear the last of it, but Paul was up there and he dropped all the way to the thorn in the flesh. And then God said to him, I won't even answer that prayer, but my grace will be sufficient for you. And that's what he needed after all. Oh... We need today, beloved, Jeremiah's bonfire and Emmaus heartburn and John Wesley's heartwarming, but you can't live on yesterday's manna. You must have fresh oil. George Muller made uh, that middle part of the verse his motto, Jesus Christ the same yesterday and forever, but in the middle and today. He made that the heart of it. Old Dr. Ironside used to tell about it. Dear lady, every time they had a testimony meeting, she'd get up and start off 40 years ago. He said, I finally thought I just must go to her sometime and say, Lady, hasn't anything happened since? Hasn't the Lord revealed himself to you since then? You're scrubbing up the shields of brass, you see. God wants you to have the gold. Moses endured as seeing him who's invisible. 
And they looked into him and were brightened, it really says, and their faces were not ashamed. They're beholding the brightness and the boldness. That'll make you bold for the Lord. Well, what is this glow? Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. He said, you're the light of the world. And the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Let your light shine before men so they'll see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Shine as lights in this world. It is the outshining of the indwelling Christ. When you said to him, Jesus, come into my heart and make yourself at home, that's what it is. Just be yourself in me. Christ liveth in me. Now, when that happens, let's get the thing straight. You're not an automaton from then on. You're not a robot. You're you. Remember that. Uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that great Bible teacher and professor who followed Campbell Morgan, great physician in England, and then he became preacher. And you, you see the doctor all the way through his books, and the one on depression, my, what a book. You see the diagnosis of the doctor, but you see the preacher too. And he said... You're still you, remember. Now, I know Paul said, I live yet, not I, but Christ liveth in me. Well, he meant the old self, but the Christ that liveth in me, he is my life and all that. But remember that you are not a wooden soldier after you're a Christian. You can still make choices, make decisions. You are you, and you have to make decisions. And when you are saved, as Jesus fills more and more of your old life, the old Adam's not eradicated, but the new man grows. Whatever you feed and exercise will grow. If you let the new man feed on the Word and rest in the Lord and exercise himself to godliness, that's the way a boy grows. Food, rest, and exercise. You can't grow a boy without the three. Leave out either one of them, you won't make it. That's the way a Christian grows. Certainly we must grow. We've got a lot of babies in church today that aren't in the nursery. They're a problem. Paul had a problem with them. They're always so fussy, these church babies, 150, 200 pounds, church babies. When the new preacher comes, they say, I don't like him. He changed my formula. (laughs) They can be a lot of trouble. But you can grow and not have the glow. So feed on the word, rest in the Lord, exercise yourself unto godliness, and then let the light of the Lord shine through you. You don't have to go around with a great big button saying, I'm a Christian carrying a Bible big as a Sears and Roebuck catalog. You don't have to do that. They'll find it out. They'll catch on. The word will get around. If he's walking with you and living in you, it'll get around. What's the secret of it? I read it to you a moment ago. Beholding in a glass the glory of the Lord, we're changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The becoming follows the beholding, and the likeness follows the looking. It's all by faith. F-A-I-T-H, for all I take him. For all he is, I take him. For all my needs, I trust him. For all his blessings, I thank him. Make yourself a little placard and Hang it up where you see it first thing in the morning. Make an acrostic out of it. 
F-A-I-T-H, down this way, and then run out from those letters. For all he is, I take him. For all my needs, I trust him. For all his blessings, I thank him. That glow has departed from so many Christians and churches. Oh, I've got a fall lined up that I ought to have more sense than to take on this many meetings. But uh, I see a lot of activity, things going on, whipped up enthusiasm, glorified pep rallies, synthetic happiness. Some have the grin, some have the glare, but I don't see Jesus shining through a lot of it. We don't even know that we don't have it. And if I tell some of them, you don't have the glow here. We don't have what? You don't have the glow. And there needs to be a consciousness of need, a confession of sin, the cleansing of the blood, and commitment to Jesus as Lord. And then we'll be spirit-filled. And unless and until we are, Ichabod's written all over the place, might as well name the church the Ichabod Memorial. And love is just another way of putting it. Now, when I say love, I mean the love imparted and implanted in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Love's not everything. Uh, You have to deal with what's the matter with you before you get around to the love. Uh, Some people say, well, love's everything. No, it isn't. If it had been, why didn't Paul start with the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians? He had to deal with sin in the church, sin in the church, sin in the church. Then he got around to the love. But you must get around to the love. I remember I had a little country church, my first pastor. And when I went there, some men had preceded me who had become prominent preachers. I didn't hear much about them. But I kept hearing about Josiah Elliot. And I thought to myself, well, he must have been something. I'm got, I've got to find out about him. And I went back to where my old friend John Brown was farming. They took me back there the other day to that place on the creek where I wrote my first book, Brother Stillwaters, in 1934. John was a philosopher. He was the slowest man I ever saw, had time to talk. Nobody's got time to talk anymore. But uh, I, I would spend the afternoon. I ought to have been visiting. He ought to have been plowing. But we were just talking. I go over next morning, and we never said good morning. We just took up where we left off the morning. <laughs> just talking some more. I knew John would give me the lowdown about this Josiah Elliot. And I said, John, I don't hear about any preacher here before me but Josiah Elliot. What was he like? What's the secret of his grip on all these people? John leaned on the plow handles a little bit, and he said he just loved this. That's all he said. Went on plowing presently. I made my way through that old cypress swamp back to the highway while the wood thrush was singing his vespers to the end of a perfect day. And all I could hear was, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I'm sounding brass and clanging cymbal. 
And I said, good Lord, help me as a young preacher to settle down in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians and never get moved out from then on. That's a good place to live. When you live there, you'll have the glow because it will not have departed. It's the only alternative to the Ichabod Memorial. Father, we thank thee that thou dost condescend to come down and dwell in our hearts. We thank thee, Lord, that we can open the door and say, Come in, make yourself at home, and be thyself in me. There may be folks here this morning, Lord, that have lost their glow. They still believe it. They still go through the motions, maybe working harder than they ever worked. Lord, thou knowest what a, what a killing thing church work can be if it's not in the Lord. So speak to our hearts and show us what's the matter with us. And then help us to get rid of the sin, be cleansed by the blood, filled with the Spirit, submissive to the Lordship of Jesus, and we'll have the glow. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.